Hi guys, this is Buddy and we have another question. This one is from an anonymous listener and the question reads, what is the Bible stand on feminism? What is the Bible stand on feminism? So let's get right to it. What is feminism to begin with? Feminism is a theory that supports or promotes social, economic and political equality of the sexes. The sexes here mean male and female, right? So equal rights for men and women. And this may not sound very important, but it's uh, when you look at history, you realize that there was a certain point in time where women were denied certain basic privileges like the right to vote. You know, um, women were not always allowed to vote. There was a time they were not allowed to vote at all, and women were um, denied opportunities not because they were incompetent or unable or not qualified, but just on the mere basis of the fact that they are women. They were just denied these opportunities. And it's something that has transcended generations and cultures. And even today, it exists sadly in various cultures in many parts of the world. Right? Um, you'd find women who have to work harder, you know, than a man who has equal competence, equal qualifications for the same opportunity. Right. And I know how real this is. I know how um, very relevant this is because I have sisters, I have female friends, I have female acquaintances and all that. So I know that this is not just um, something that is a figment of someone's imagination or something that is not real. It is, it is very, very true. And even if you look at the church, the way the church is and how um, things run in a church, you find that there are certain rules that are typically associated to a certain gender, right? So, like, you go into a church and you say, I'm looking for an usher. Naturally, one would expect a female to show up as opposed to a male. Or you say, I'm looking for the drama of the church. You you naturally expect a male to show up as opposed to a female. And it's it's um, so serious to the point where we even feel like it's an achievement when you find certain people doing certain things. Like, for instance, you go to a church and then the bass guitarist of the church is a female. You know, you begin to know admire and you're like oh wow you know the bass guitarist is a female as if it's an achievement right <laughs> but playing the bass guitar is a, it's a skill it's an ability that anybody can learn and use and do um, very very well so the issue of gender equality is not just one that is of um, um, denying opportunities or um, one being subjugated or marginalized it's also a matter of mentality how we've grown to see the world and for for many people it's even normal right it's normal to see certain genders in certain positions they they feel it's it's natural right so it's it's very important this question is very very important it's good for us to know as christians what the bible's opinion on all of this is what is the bible stand on feminism the the answer is straightforward and it's simple and it's very clear galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says in Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, there is no slave nor free, there is no male nor female. This means that when God looks at us down from heaven, he doesn't see Jew or Greek. What this means is that God doesn't prefer one person over the other on the basis of nationality or race or ethnicity. So immediately you realize that um, all these nationalist groups and white supremacists, black supremacists, and all these kinds of race-based groups. They are not they are not very necessary because when God looks down at us, he doesn't see any difference. He just sees his children. 
it goes on to say that um, um, God doesn't prefer anyone based on whether you are a slave or you are free. So oligarchy, aristocracy, being an elite or a commoner, God doesn't recognize any of these things. When he looks at us, all he sees is his children. And he proceeds to say, there is neither male nor female. Which is to say, God doesn't prefer one over the other based on the fact that you are a man or a woman. In Christ, we are all equal. We are all the same. But does it take away the fact that um, there's some kind of inequality? No, it doesn't. The situation is very, very real. So how did it come about? How did we get here? And you'll be surprised that the answer is in the Bible. The origins of feminism, it's in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, you know, let's even start from the beginning. So God creates man, right? Genesis 1, 26, and he puts man in the garden. The Bible says that when God said, let us make man in our own image, he made male and female, right? And he made both of them in in his image. So God didn't make, it's not as if God made man in his image and not woman or woman in his image and not man both were made in his image he puts them in a garden and everything was okay and you notice something that was said in genesis chapter 2 verse 25 the last verse of genesis chapter 2 it says and the man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed you would wonder why the bible will insert such a clause i mean what why do you need to tell us that they were naked and they were not ashamed because what this means is that there was no secret between them. There was nothing to hide between them. They didn't see anything that was essential so much so that they had to, you know, cover up or, you know, hide or, you know, everything was just open and bare. And the Bible says they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed of their differences. They were okay. Then Genesis 3, the serpent came and he sowed his seed of contrary word. He told them that, look, I mean, don't, don't mind God. Oh, he's just saying what he likes. He knows that when you eat this thing, you, you, your eyes will open. And so the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 verse um, 7 that they ate the fruit, the man and his wife, and immediately their eyes got opened. And watch what happened. The first effect of sin, the, the first direct effect of sin was that they realized that they were naked. Immediately. They could, they could tell their differences. Immediately, they, they recognized their differences. And the, the Bible says that they sewed fig leaves together and they used to cover up. The man suddenly realized that, look, these are not things I must expose. So he sewed fig leaves and he covered up. The woman realized that this thing is not right for a man to see. All of a sudden, they recognized that they were different and so they had to cover up. And so God came and then he, he interviewed Adam and said, why, 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 what's all this? Who told you you are naked? Have you did the thing I said you shouldn't do? And watch the second effect of sin. The, the, the thing that sin made Adam do, it's, it's so amazing. The second effect of sin was self-preservation. The tendency to um, preserve your self-interest to the point of even blaming someone else. Even if it means blaming God. Because Adam said that, is there a woman that you gave me? Adam was not uh, bothered to accuse God of anything if, if he could you know, preserve his self-interest. I mean, why not? And so God was very disappointed. And watch, watch it. It didn't even end there. God turned to Eve because Adam had said, it is the woman you gave me, right? So God moved to Eve and said, move. Uh, uh, move from the place. 
Eve, what, 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 what did you do? Adam said, I should ask you. Eve said, it's not me. It's the serpent. So you realize that Eve also had received the imputed tendency to protect herself, to prefer herself over someone else, to guard herself. And so you, you, you see two direct effects of sin. Differences being recognized. And number two, self-preservation and self-preference. And right from there, the thing escalated and escalated and escalated. And you, you find that because of the presence of sin, men have been able to prefer themselves over each other. And you know, let me just say this, right? Feminism started as a pure movement to champion the rights of women or gender equality in general. But over the years, it's undergone evolution, right? It's evolved. And it's produced this brand of um, people. It's, it's, it's produced this brand of feminism that tends to see men as a problem. It's like masculinity is the issue, you know? So right now when you say feminism some people tend to um, um, equalize it to men haters it's not really like that and even those who think that men are are the problem right if you look at it carefully you realize that they actually have a cause to believe and think like that because the reason why women had have been marginalized for a very long time the reason why women were suppressed and oppressed over the course of history it's because certain men in certain high places make sure of it, right? So even if you look at it in a certain sense, they, they actually do have a point, right? But my, my my whole, what I'm talking about is that feminism was just to champion the cause of women's rights or gender equality. And it only came about as a result of sin. The need for feminism came about as a result of sin. Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 that be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect meaning you should try to behave like how God behaves and so if we are going to see, if we are going to see people the way God sees people we are not going to see them on the basis of anything we are not going to see them on the basis of race of ethnicity of nationality we are not going to see them on the basis of social status social rank and strata we are not going to see them on the basis of gender. And this may not sound very um, powerful to certain people because in certain parts of the world, this is not really an issue. But there are places in the world where by virtue of birth, one person is better than the other. Just because of a family you were born into, you, you are better than another person or you are underprivileged. It's a very real issue that affects real lives every day. And if we were to see God as who he is and emulate him and see people through his eyes we will not have any need for all these kinds of activisms in any case Luke chapter 6 verse 31 Jesus said that do unto others what you like others to do unto you alright but you know when you look at the issue of feminism in the bible right there are certain passages in the bible that um, seem to point to the fact that the Bible favors a certain gender. Like for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, which 
upstairs. You know, Paul was speaking right to the Corinthians, and he said women should keep silence in the church. They shouldn't speak. That when they go home, they can go and ask their husbands. Certain women have made the point of this and said, "Oh, this, this, this is clearly something which um, supports one gender over the other." But it is not true, because if you look at the context of it. Paul was trying to address a particular situation in um, Corinth because the letters of Paul, right, they were written in an era, the Greco-Roman era. And at that time, there, were, there was a presence of a lot of goddess cults. You know, there, were, there were a lot of goddesses around like Aphrodite, Artemis, um, Kori, and all of these kinds of goddesses, right? And these goddesses and these goddess cults had women to be the primary um, officials. They were the ones who had leadership roles and were officiating most of the spiritual ceremonies and so on. And so they were used to, you know, being in charge. And that kind of lifestyle was creeping into the church. And some of the women were bringing this kind of authoritarian lifestyle into the church. And Paul, here is Paul trying to introduce Christianity to a people that are used to this kind of thing right and he had to settle this issue and at the same time teach them how to be submissive in a christian context of marriage so he said that the reason why you should not say anything in church is that when you go home and you go and ask your husband to teach you submission and that was all and if and, and if this is even disputed you can look at the character of paul as a person paul worked hand in hand with a lot of women several women you can talk of Chloe, of the household of Chloe, right? Um, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Some people came to report to Paul that there are some people in the household of Chloe that are into quarrels and bickering and so on. Paul had to resolve those quarrels in collaboration with Chloe. And Chloe was the head of house. He, she was a house head, right? Like an, um, 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 a king's woman, if you like. And she owned slaves. She was very rich and she was well known in Corinth. And that just goes to, you know, buttress further the point that women in Corinth were very powerful, right? And Paul had to work, and she was also a church leader. So Paul had to work with her to resolve those things. You can also talk about Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Phoebe was one of the church leaders at um, Corinth, right? And Paul sent her to Rome to go and do something for him. And he wrote a letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 16. He told them that receive Phoebe because she's a dickness over here. She's a dickin over here. And dickness, even now, dickens are very high-ranking church officials. They were people who could even represent the, the, the church at public gatherings and so on. And Paul described Phoebe as a benefactor, like on the same level as him right and then you can even talk about um um priscilla aquila and priscilla in acts in timothy in first corinthians chapter um 16 i believe paul was working closely with aquila and priscilla and aquila and priscilla were leaders of the church at ephesus right so if you look at paul's association to these women and how he was able to run churches all over asia and europe with these women you suddenly realize that no, Paul is not somebody who is not against women being in charge or being in control, but he had to address this particular situation at Corinth. Another passage that people may use as an anti-feminist passage in the Bible is um, Genesis 3.16, where God was t- 
telling the woman that I will increase your pain in childbirth and then your desire shall be to your husband and he will rule over you. Check the wording. It says your desire will be to your husband, not the man. God was very specific. He was defining the role of a wife, not a woman. He wasn't talking about gender. He was talking about the role of a wife. He says, your desire will be to your husband and he will rule over you. And Ephesians 5 buttresses this point. Verse 22 says that wives, submit to your husband. God hadn't changed his mind at all about that. He said, wives, submit to your husbands. And in verse 25, he said, husbands, love your wives. And the the issue of submission in marriage also is another point. (laughs) Even Certain women say, ah, I mean, this whole issue of submission is almost as if the Bible is making one gender look superior to the other. No, that's not it at all. The issue of submission is is an issue of role and responsibility. There has to be order. Paul was addressing a church in 1 Corinthians 14 and he says that God is not the author of confusion. God is into order, right? And in the the context of marriage, there has to be order. And so wives must submit to husbands. And he goes on to say husbands must love their wives and even give their lives for their wives. It says that the husband is a wife of the... The husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church, you see. And so, the similitude is the relationship between Christ and the church compared to the relationship between a man and a woman. Because marriage is not just a man and a woman coming together. It's a mystery. And Ephesians 5.31 says clearly that marriage is a mystery. It's not just simply a man and a woman coming together to live together and so on. It's a demonstration of the relationship between Christ and the church and how Christ was able to love the church and die for her. God said, husbands, love your wives and be able to die for her. And if this is not uh, convincing enough, you can just look at Ephesians 5.21. God said, submit to each other. Submit to each other. Because God's point is not that one gender is above another. His point is that there has to be order in their marriage. So, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, it says. Alright. And and so, when you look at all of these things, in and you compare to Galatians 3.28, you find that God is not biased at all. And even the leader of the, the person we are all copying, you know, you look at Paul's lifestyle, and you look at the lifestyle of his boss, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus Christ, you look at his life and his ministry and you see the kind of role that women played in his ministry. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you find that Jesus um, had respect for women. Look, Luke chapter 8 verse 1 to 3 says that Jesus' ministry was financed by women. There were women who financed Jesus' ministry from their own pocket. Chusa, the wife of Pharaoh's steward, Joanna, Mary Magdalene. These were the financiers of Jesus' ministry. All the way through to his death. When he was dying, the women were there again. When the disciples had bolted, Peter had denied Jesus three times already. The women were there with Jesus. At a point, Jesus had to even drive them away. He said, women of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Cry for you and your children. You know, if, if green leaves are catching fire, I mean, dry leaves there, you should really be running for cover. 
But they didn't go away. At the cross, the women were there again. And then, the highest truth and the most important truth of Christianity, the thing upon which Christianity is built, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ didn't rise up from the dead, Christianity will have no basis and no hope. Christianity will be nothing. And Jesus Christ rising from the dead, the first group of people he decided to show himself to was women. And this may not be, it may not sound very important, right? But at the time, in Jesus' time, the testimony of women was not even admissible in court. And so for Jesus to have entrusted the most crucial truth of Christianity to people whose testimony would not hold in court anyway was a statement to show that he was not into status quo. He was not into preferring one gender over the other. It was the testimony of these women that have made you and I free. That have given you and I the boldness to speak about Christ with the authority we speak about. Right? And so, when you look at all of these things, you see the clear position of the Bible on feminism. The clear position of the Bible on gender and gender rights. Galatians 3.28 is the direct answer of, of, of this question. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. God sees us as his children. And his position on this issue will forever remain the same. No gender is above the other. And one day Jesus will come back again. And all of these things will be perfected. And we will see clearly what God has always wanted to do. I mean, feminism is just one of the attempts that we've made to restore things to how they were back in the garden. Because a lot of things have been distorted by sin. It's not just the issue of gender inequality. The heart of man is seriously wicked. When you think about all that is going on in the world and how certain people like to amass wealth and, you know, just sit on the rights of others, you realize that there's a lot of things that are wrong with this world. And one day Jesus will come back and all things will be perfected and we would, we would know that God has never preferred one gender over the other. He has already said in his word. But at that time, we will see it practically with our own eyes. Amen? <laughs> Alright, so this was a very beautiful question. I enjoyed it. You can also send me your question to askbuddy at gmail.com askbuddy at gmail.com or you can send me a WhatsApp message, text, voice note or selfie video continuing your question to plus two three three two zero zero eight six four six seven three that's plus two three three two zero zero eight six four six seven three thank you so much for listening god bless you till we meet again bye